I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Nova Society. And today we have another conversation with our friend and colleague, Dr. Scott Gershwer, as we discuss, does Joe Biden, is there a case for him to have a second term? And how important really is his VP pick as he gets a little older? So let's listen in. So today, Scott, we wanted to talk about Joe Biden's age and the importance of a VP pick in this year's presidential election. I think we've talked about this before. My position was that I believe that with Biden being an octogenarian, that the VP pick would be probably more in the back of the minds of people than we might than might previously have been in the past. As you said, people do not vote for the vice president. But... <laughs> When you think about the fact that you've got a president that uh, is going to be, you know, 83, 84, 85 years old during the term, I, I think that has to come into play. So what are you thinking? Well, all right. So in 2020, I think that a lot of us didn't know what to expect from Joe Biden. And like I myself uh, was more of a Bernie Sanders guy I, I wanted i really wanted bernie sanders to be the nominee as i did in 2016 and the idea i think of the the theme of that election was that it was you know you find the least controversial person that you can and and run them against trump who's the most controversial person out there find somebody who doesn't necessarily check a whole lot of boxes but's got experience and is steady and and so on i never had a, I honest to God, I never had a good thought about Joe Biden in my life. I never, I never thought of him as anything. He might've been a cool guy. He was like a personable guy, you know, but not any kind of thinker or not any kind of, more of a glad hand politician type, which, you know, is not my, my favorite. And, and so it seemed in that election about just below 20%, one, about one of five, 19% of voters who had already decided that they didn't want to vote for President Trump said that Biden's choice could convince them. And I think that was there were even more of them in the end independents, almost 30% of independents said that they could be convinced to vote for Biden by his choice of running mate. And that wasn't an age issue or anything like that. It was simply find the right running mate. Show that you know what you're doing, and we'll give you the election. And I think that's what happened. I think that's exactly what happened. And the safety of the pick was the first order of business. And and so th I looked this up three years ago. Kamala Harris was the front runner across a whole bunch of really important demographics among Black voters, Hispanic voters, voters age 30 to 44. She had a 28 percent. She was the choice of 28%. Voters over 65 years old, she was uh, the choice of 26%. Voters in our dem demographic, 45 to 64, 26%. And, and so she was, um, out of everybody else that, that was considered at the time, Tammy Duckworth and Elizabeth Warren, Stacey Abrams, she was the, the preferred pick. And he made that pick and it was the safe pick. And at the time it was the smart pick because they, she did a great job in the debate. 
although anybody all I think anybody remembers about the vice president debate that year was the fly on Pence's head. Yes. And, and probably not a lot of other content than that going. How how long is that fly going to be on this guy's head? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Um, but and that's all anybody remembered about it when when they came out. Nobody remembered a single thing anybody said. But here's the thing. So Biden has proven himself, at least in my eyes, to be a oh, yes. very good president. He has been. Uh, even the worst thing that, that he did, which was the pullout from Afghanistan, was a pretty courageous thing to do that nobody, not even Barack Obama, not Trump, not Bush, uh, were capable of making that choice to pull out of Afghanistan. He did it early. He's paid a dear price for it. But but I think that that it was a very, very courageous thing to do. It's been a, a great boon to us, I believe, not having anybody in Afghanistan and, and, you know, not propping up one more year, a regime that fell apart like a house of cards and that people generally speaking, I think, think that he's been a good president. Now that hasn't stopped us from having the conversation that we don't want him to run again because he's too old. Right. Right. But. At the same time, his continued, I would say, accomplishments kind of suggest, hey, look, if he wants to run, he should be able to. And I think that those numbers are increasing in his favor. Now, 47% of Democrats say that they do want him to run. And in January, that was about 37%. So he's gained right. 10% since January. And it's probably going up from there. But he's old. Yeah, well, he is. He's old. And, you know, going back to the the Bernie Sanders, I hate to, I truly hate to admit this, but I also like Bernie Sanders. Uh, a very progressive. I don't think he could have beaten Trump because he was not the safe pick. You you would have gone from one extreme in my, in my mind to a, a, another extreme. Biden was the centrist of all of these people. He was, he was the safe choice. He was the sane choice. Everybody figured they knew what they were getting with him. They knew, they knew it was going to happen. I did like Kamala Harris when she started out, but then her, her, her campaign seemed to just peter out. It just seemed to evaporate for some reason. She could not get those messages across. She did a great job in the debates and you're right. The presidential debate will always remember the fly, especially on a gray haired guy. But the fact is, is that it just petered out. I mean, she just was not able to get her message across. And I think that's very, very important. And I totally agree with you. Biden deserves a second term regardless of his age. He has shown he is not a doddering old man. He knows how to play this game. Yeah, He knows he, he's he been looked, doing it for a long time. He, he looked very sharp in Europe and he looked very sharp um, at NATO. And he looked very sharp when he did an interview with Fareed Zakaria last week on CNN. He's got a great grasp of every single issue. And I do not think that anybody could really make the case that he's in any way doddering or anything like that. He's, he has trouble speaking. Sometimes he has trouble forming words. That's been a lifelong challenge for him. It's not getting better. Um, well, he, he's, a, but, he has but, a but stuttering issue. 
Right. But, I, but I don't, but it's, yeah, it's stuttering, but it's, it's also like sometimes his mouth and his brain are not connected as well as they <laughs> should be. I don't necessarily think it's because of his age. I just I think, mean, but that that's like all of us. He is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, but, that's every single one of us. And, and getting back to your point on Kamala Harris, I think that, um, the job, the vice president, the job of vice president isn't worth a bucket of warm spit. I forget who said that originally, but you know, I think that that's probably was true. Then is true. Now it's not, it's just a job in waiting. It's not really something that, that, uh, where you have big accomplishments. Now Biden had the, you, you know, the ability to work with Congress in a way that Barack Obama may not have been able to because of old relationships and, and things like that. Uh, and so he had a bit more of a, uh, a portfolio as, as vice president. But uh, the one thing that we know about Kamala Harris was that, that she was given the task of uh, finding out what the root causes of mass immigration at the Southern border were. And if, and it was mischaracterized, I think a lot of times by she was the, the new borders are or something like that. Nothing, not, not true. Never the, the intention. Uh, she was supposed to go down to central America and figure out why so many people were coming here and come up with a long-term solution to the problem. Now, my understanding is that the Southern border is quiet now that it is not the chaotic situation everybody predicted. And that one of the reasons for that is the Biden administration took the time to understand where people were coming from and why, and were able to work out deals with different stakeholders to mitigate their rush to the border, which by the way, is not helped by Republicans constantly getting on TV and on the radio and saying the border is open, the border is open. Right. Because right. if you, if you continue to say that people are going to hear it and they're going to interpret it in a way that they want to interpret it. And certainly the way the coyotes are going to interpret it and the people who are involved in smuggling people to the border are going to say, they're going to tell people, Hey, look, the border is open. You get there you're going to be able to go across. I don't understand how anybody can make the argument that Biden screwed the border up by saying that he was going to be gentler than Donald Trump was and people believe them and rush to the border. But that Republicans saying constantly, the border is open, the border is open, the border is open, isn't being heard by those same people and understood to mean that the border is open and they should just come and they'll be allowed in. My ancestors believed that the streets were paved in gold, right? Remember that was mine. Yep. Yeah, that that my my ancestors came here believing that America was this golden place, and they get off at Ellis Island and they and they take the ferry over to Lower Manhattan and and they find out what the reality is, and they had to deal with that on the Lower East Side and you know fight their way through it and out of it. So myths at the at the border are not nothing new. Immigrants will believe what they hear about America, and and it turned out to you know that uh, Venezuelans were coming to the border, 
and we don't have an extradition treatment with Venezuela. We don't recognize the Venezuelan government. So we don't have the means to send Venezuelans back to Venezuela. Right. So we had to find a third party turned out to be Mexico um, to help us deal with the Venezuelan issue. Same thing with Cuba. We do not have extradition treatments with Cuba, so we can't send Cubans back. It's, it's mean spirited to send Haitians back. We need to find different ways to deal with the people who are coming. And they also discovered that people are coming from Ukraine and Russia and that plenty of people are coming from China and Taiwan as well. So there's not one problem at the border. There's a whole bunch of different problems that require different solutions. And it appears at this time that the Biden administration has solved that problem. And Kamala Harris probably should get more, more um, props for that than she does. And, and yeah, I would agree. Oh, by the way, uh, the one that made the, the not worth spit was John Nance, Cactus Jack Gardner, the 32nd vice president of the United States. And, uh, he was known for not having that great filter between his brain and his mouth. <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that was, uh, that was, it was attributed to him. It was also used by Lyndon Johnson when he was the vice president, but it, that was from, uh, from, uh, John Gardner, old Cactus Jack, uh, that oh, said okay. that. But yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I think that now I'm not sure that it's totally solved. I I think that it's a complex problem and a complex problem requires an, uh, you know, there's just so many different things to it. Uh, If we want to, to do immigration correctly, let me just say this. We have made it more difficult in the last 25 years to, to be able to emigrate to the United States by codifying some of these things. But I agree with you. I think that, that Kamala Harris deserves some credit, but, and again, I think you and I both agree the vice president's just probably the worst job out there. I mean, it's gotta be the, you know, one of the worst jobs because you really don't know what you, what you're supposed to do. So if so Mark, Biden, can, can I bring that back to where, sure, we're, sure, where, sure. where we are? Absolutely. Because, because I agree with you. And yet right now it's never been more important. Oh, it's, it's terribly and important. My understanding is that Kamala Harris's approval rating is about the same as Joe Biden's. Okay. And that, and that, uh, her approval rating in the demographics that the democratic party has been reliant on for the last, I don't know how many years, um, which includes women. Uh, very important demographic. Very important demographic. Black uh, voters, very important. Hispanic voters, very Absolutely. important. That that none of them would like to see um, Kamala Harris replaced on the ticket by somebody else. And I understand that. I, I mean, I I we've seen what happened in 2016 when black voters didn't come out to vote. Correct. Donald Trump became became the president of the United States. Right. right? And there were three cities, Milwaukee, Harrisburg, and um, Detroit, where voters didn't come out as they ordinarily do come out for uh, presidential elections. And those three cities gave Trump the presidency. That Yes. That, and that's we correct. do not want that to ha- happen again. And there are other challenges like the no labels thing. We'll discuss some other time perhaps, but, but the, uh, but, but you do not want to offend 
those constituents by right. replacing Kamala Harris with somebody. Else. And it's, it's not a traditional to move, actually, if you've got a ticket. Uh, unless you, I think you have to actually look back to FDR, yeah, who had— I mean, he had he had uh, one vice president and eventually got Truman in his last term before he passed. But since then, a ticket's a ticket, tradition almost now that they kind of stick with it. So, you know, almost for eighty years, it's they have not said, "Okay, we won. Well, we're going to make us we're going to switch things up and get a, get somebody else in there." And I totally agree with you. I don't think he can replace Kamala Harris. I think that this next. 18 months before we get to, or however many months it is, uh, that we before we get to the election, it would behoove the ticket of Biden-Harris to get her more out there, to get her more face time, to get people more comfortable with, okay, if Joe Biden, something was to happen to him, we'd be all right with her. She could take up the mantle. She could do this. And I really think that that would be something very, very important for the Democrat Party to really look at that. Get her out there. Get her to Detroit. Get her to to, to Harrisburg. Get her to those cities that you know you need and get her out there. Get her more involved in foreign policy because she really doesn't have a lot of foreign policy jobs. Get her out in the forefront and get people comfortable with Kamala Harris doing things that I guess I'd call job job preparation. Yes, the border was very, very important, but that's domestic. A lot of the presidency is foreign policy. And right now, I, I can't tell you what her foreign policy would be. Would it be the same as Biden? Probably, but we don't know that. So I, I think that would be one of those things that would probably behoove the Democrats if they could just get her out there, get her that FaceTime and get people to become comfortable with her. And I think that uh, that would be a benefit to them. Well, could I just push back slightly on that? Sure. You can always push back. Okay. I appreciate you. <laughs> because... because because here's the, I, I I agree with you. I don't have any idea what Kamala Harris's idea of foreign policy is. I don't even recall whether she was on the Foreign Services Committee or any of those things when she was in the U.S. Senate. I don't recall. Um, I'm sure she was on judiciary and you know she's a good lawyer and a former prosecutor, et cetera. But I think I I, I think that voters vote at, for their wallets, not necessarily so much for foreign policy. And I do think that that uh, Joe Biden has been emphasizing foreign policy recently, but he's also got a great number of job creating factory openings, ground breakings. You know, he was just recently in uh, Georgia in the in the the town that uh, that Marjorie Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Green lives in or grew up in or lives in now i can't remember dalton georgia and the biggest one of the biggest factories in america is being built there and it probably would have been great i don't if kamala harris was there for that so that voters could associate her with these big economic wins because i think economic wins are are going to be so important for the this coming election. 
And um, so you don't you don't see the 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 Russian Ukraine war and our involvement and potential involvement having any real to the average American voter. You don't think they they aren't thinking of that also. I, I. I'm sure that people are thinking about it. I don't know what they're thinking about it necessarily, <laughs> but I do think they're thinking about it. But but I also think that you know it's very far away, and and um and whoever is going to like, there's not a real responsible person in Washington D.C. who would who would do what the irresponsible people are doing, saying like, oh, you know, I'll just make peace over there by you know, telling Ukraine to stop, give up their territory, territorial integrity and, and give Putin a win or whatever it is that they, they think that they're, they're saying there, or that we're spending too much money. I see that one on Twitter all the time. Yeah. Why are we spending so much money? Why are we spending, we don't have enough ammunition for ourselves here in this country. Why, you know, why are we sending so much over to to Ukraine and not saving it for ourselves here or transfer it over to Taiwan, et cetera, et cetera. And 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 I, I don't think I th- I think that the the um stewardship of Ukraine and our support for Ukraine is going to be important, probably should be, but is not as much as it should be without question. And, and, and that this is just, you know, this is, we're getting great bang for our buck without having to have boots on the ground there. The coalition that we, that Biden has put together at NATO is an incredible one. We are not right now the number one supplier of weaponry to, to Ukraine. I believe Poland is. And so we are, we can lead that one without disruption as long as there's continuity. And and th- so that will be a contrast point for for the Republican who runs eventually beca- gets the nomination, whether it's the former guy or the, somebody new. And and who's to say? I don't even want to discuss it at this point. But uh, <laughs> but 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 I think a responsible statesman w- would continue things as they're going there. Voters vote on economics, and the economy is going to be gangbusters strong going into this election if everything trends the way it's trending right now right yeah wages are now above inflation inflation's going down people are still out there spending money in shopping gas prices have come down although they're ticking back up it's you know still a global market but we are the you know, the number one exporter of, of liquid natural gas to Europe. We are the number one, uh, one of the biggest suppliers of oil to the rest of the world. Doesn't necessarily help voters here when they have to pay at the pump, but it's not been, it's not as dire a situation as it was. We're not facing massive food shortages. Biden seems to to be able to solve things as they come up, maybe not as quickly as you you would love them to be solved, but, but thoughtfully and forever seem to be solved a, a number of problems, but the economy should be strong going into the election. Uh, their uh, knock wood doesn't seem to be a recession on the horizon. The soft landing is, is believed to be happening. We could be down to 2% inflation by next month. And, and it just, it just seems like things are, are, are going in the right direction and I think that promoting her along with that uh, would really be a big boost to Biden. 
So that's all the time we have for today's episode. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the JCIS, an open journal for upcoming scholars. The JCIS is currently accepting article submissions for their fall 2023 edition. Call for papers information can be found in the description. The Phoenix Group, an independent research consortium offering solutions for social issues through multidisciplinary and unbiased research. And BH Conflict Resolution Services, a full-service dispute resolution firm offering expert and cost-effective mediation services to couples, groups, and businesses. BHCRS can be reached at www.bhcrs.com. We'd like to thank our podcast partners, Buzzsprout, who hosts the Nova Society, iHeartRadio, where people get their music and podcasts, Apple iTunes, the largest source for music and podcasts on the internet, Spotify, the most popular source for the Nova Society podcast. Finally, PodKite, our analytical partners. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. If you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest on the Nova Society, we can be reached at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com. We'd also like to remind everyone that the Nova Society podcast is now available on our new YouTube channel. We encourage everyone to check out the channel and like and subscribe. The link can be found in our description. Remember, the power of society is knowledge. So for Dr. Brooklyn Ann Weldon and all of us here at the Nova Society podcast, I'm Dr. Mark Bound. Be well, and we hope to see you again next time.